There is that piece of music again, which is uh, the soundtrack to this voyage of discovery at the moment. This is episode three of Shano on the radio, my old DJ handle when I was a 14-year-old boy broadcaster on a pirate radio station called CBC uh, in Clonmel in County Tipperary, my hometown. And around about that time, I got fascinated with golf. I mean, I'd played it and my family had played it, but um, it was around then that it all started to germinate and then aspirations were to try and play in the Monster Boys and stuff like that without any success. But um, we had a great response to last week's show and thank you very much. Uh, episode two, which you can listen to anytime you want now. The podcasts are on iTunes and Spotify and SoundCloud and pretty much everywhere. But episode two was with Peter Alice, unedited, about an hour long. And uh, he deserved that because how could you edit Peter Alice, the voice of golf, 89 years young, since February 28th. He shares that birthday with the great Barbara Nicholas. So two very important figures in world golf. And um, Barbara celebrated her 80th birthday. Peter was 89. And uh, wow. So look, um, the whole emphasis with this particular show and it is a radio show. I know they call it podcasting now, but um, and that's fair enough. But what I tried to do is just try and get people who were in the arena, in whatever discipline it is or was, and people who have first-hand accounts and people who have just authentic voices to come on and talk about whatever the topic is. And that's just the way we'll drive forward with this. And um, I'm so delighted that uh, you've joined us on this particular episode. This is the third go, and uh, it is an an emotional show ahead of us because only in the last 10 days or so, we learned of the passing of John O'Leary, who was an icon of Irish golf, a man who lived in the UK but was brought up, bred in Dublin, Ireland, and was a boy uh, star. in a number of disciplines, but he zoned in on golf, you know, in his mid to late teens, and then just everything took off like a skyrocket. And he came under the influence of J.B. Carr, the great Joe Carr, and he came under the influence of John Jacobs, and, you know, serendipity is a really strong word that I think is fitting for someone like John, because um, John Jacobs had this vision to set up the European tour, and um, John O'Leary was one of his prized assets and so John made the switch into the pro ranks and the rest is history but uh, we'll delve into that history over the next um, I couldn't even tell you how long this is going to take but it's going to be a nice voyage and of course the beauty of podcasts is you can either listen right through or you can pause you can listen when you want and you can just find that comfortable chair or you can get out with the earphones on you can walk the dog or you can just go out for a stroll or you can just sit in front of the fire, uh, certainly if you're in Ireland, because there's an horrible east wind out there at the moment. Uh, but the sun is shining as we speak when I'm uh, here in my house recording this. And uh, spring is in the air, but we're all dealing with, you know, um, a global thing, which is the coronavirus. Um, we've talked about that in the past. We may reflect on it with some of our guests. But the real topic of discussion is John O'Leary and his life. And I could think of no better title. It just sort of came to me there Um earlier today, because it is, I think, an appropriate description of John in that he never met a stranger. So that's the title of the show. It's a tribute to John O'Leary, our favourite son of golf, who has passed on to his eternal reward. But it was a life full of quality and it was rich in relationships and it was rich in love 
and it was rich in golf and um, it was a life that was well lived all around the world and um, he gave so much to the European Tour but he was a champion. He won the Irish Open in 1982, he played on the Ryder Cup team in 1975 and he was very much part of the uh, administration of the European Tour at board level and gave so much until he just started to develop some illness in the early part of last year, pretty much a year ago, actually. And um, so it was a it was a decline that was inevitable. Uh, the prognosis was not good. But if you follow me on Twitter, you might have noticed that I retweeted a celebration of a friend's life um, last week. And it was just beautifully written by Roddy Carr. Roddy, of course, knows John since he was a little boy, but they were boy golfers, effectively. And then they, they, they joined the European tour together. And, you know, it's it's an amazing story, but it was a beautifully written piece. I didn't even need to read it. I just re- retweeted it, it immediately. Um, because I knew, having followed Roddy and knowing Roddy um, since, well, the last 13 years, when he was very helpful, when I was working on a, a, a different project. And uh, he just writes very well about his core area of expertise, which is golf. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a lifelong thing with Roddy and it will remain so as it has done with all of his family and the son of Joe and Dorcar. Um, he just put together the most beautifully chosen description of a friend, which is what you want. And, uh, he joins me now from Barbados where he's earning a crust and, uh, Roddy, congratulations on the piece. It was just so beautiful and, um, it was a pleasure to read and it has, I'm sure, uh, resulted in a lot of people getting in touch with you, which is only right, but it was a brilliant, poignant piece about a friend called John, or as you called him, JJ. Why did you call him JJ? Um, well, when he came to Suncroft, our house in Sutton, which was a very busy house with 20 pints of milk delivered every <laughs> every day for 20 years, you had to kind of set him aside. There were too many Johns. There was John Carr, John Cassidy, John, everybody. So he had an <laughs> uncle that he called JJ, and we immediately christened him JJ. Now, everybody on the tour and his son knows him as Jono, but in our house, he was JJ. So... He would call me Rod the Rocket because Simon Hobday christened me that when I was on tour and I would always call him JJ. So that's where we got the name JJ from. But it was um, yeah. it was a pleasure really. I mean, uh, it's terrible uh, to write an obituary, but it's uh, it was actually a pleasure to go back and to just think about him in, in, in the, the life that we have shared together. And uh, what a full life it was that he led. Um, and, and I remember just... But maybe October last year, I got a call from his son, Mark. He said, Dad, isn't well. Maybe I want to pop in and see him. And I kind of knew immediately there was something going on. So I stopped off on the way back from Barbados to Dublin and uh, got a taxi out to the Richmond Hospital and went in to see him there. And he was perched up in the, in the bed, you know, looking very spruced up. He'd obviously he had a shower and dickied himself up and in his uh, hospital gown. He had the sporting post and every racing paper and the telegraph and everything spread out waiting for the afternoon uh, race meetings and soccer and golf and cricket, everything which he was going to have a little flutter on, uh, preparing for the day which he would do most Saturdays. Um, and we started to chat and uh, I said, how are things, JJ? And he said, uh, no, I'm not too bad. And I said, well, how are things, JJ? And he said, it's not good. 
that was it. Yeah. You know, it was simple and straightforward and not good. Just this is the way it is. And we started to talk then about the old times in Suncroft where he as a boy, um, you know, came to Suncroft um, to, to join the house really of golfers because my father was obviously quite famous in those days. And we would have 20 or 30 people staying in the house playing golf and playing 50, 54 holes on a summer's day from 7 in the morning to 11 at night. And wow. J- JB would be hitting balls in the morning and, you know, we'd be lights on lights on the green in the evenings if it was, if it was in the fall. And John stayed for, came for a weekend and stayed for two months the first time. The next year he stayed for another couple of months. And, of course, we got to know each other. And in those days, the parents, whether it was my mother, Dor, or whether it was, um, you know, his beloved mother and father, you know, taking us down to uh, Josephine and Will would take us down to the, play the boys' championships. And my first real memory of John in those days, he was about a foot taller than all of us, <laughs> built like built like an athlete. He was like one of these, you know, fellas you'd see in the, in the, in the gyms now with the, with the ads for the gyms, triangular shaped and lovely, you know, crew cut, tight crew cut in those days and piercing, drop dead, gorgeous blue eyes and yeah. always walked tall and, and then led the way. And of course, we would be following in his footsteps. And we went down there with Brendan Fagan, my great friend, who he, he eventually christened the cat man because Brendan mm. wouldn't curse. He would always say, that's cat. So <laughs> Brendan uh, remembers John opening the windows of the of the uh, golf club in, down in Limerick. And when Brendan missed a two-footer, he said, cat man, you missed another one. And then from <laughs> that day till this, he was called the cat man. <laughs> but John made many friends along the way. And we played boys golf together. From there, we went, we went on to... Uh, played for internationals in uh, we played in Killarney I never forget it Michael King Queenie and a lot of other p- players that were on the tour later would be, would have been in those internationals um, and then we played in, in Frankfurt together where John took us out and showed us the nightclub life which we'd never seen before but of course that was he was bold as brass and always was uh, and would lead us astray whenever he could and then we ended up turning pro I, I made the Walker Cup and he turned pro just before that and we, we sat on the on the tour together um, and he was really, uh, he was really quite a, an amazing player. We both had John Jacobs as uh, as our coach because uh, Jake, as we called him, he used to teach my father, and he'd be in Suncroft, and yeah. he knew John from the Leopardstown race course, and um, where he set up the John Jacobs School. Mm. So John actually worked with uh, JJ uh, and built a very, very solid foundation in that first eighteen months on tour mm. um, where unfortunately I went the opposite <laughs> direction and tried every Tom, Dick and Harry thing and lost my way very quickly. Yeah. John actually built a very solid foundation and Brendan Fagan mentioned that to me recently. He said after a year you wouldn't recognize his amateur wiry flappy kind of swing yeah. had become a very solid pro swing a bit like Des Smith had evolved into after his chat with Tom Watson. Yeah. So John really his growth on the tour we would go to the in the winters. We would go to South Africa and play the Sunshine Circuit, um, and then come back in the summers around May and play the European Circuit. But John fell in love with South Africa, and really, really took to the whole place, and they took to him in a very big way. And at this stage, he was maturing um, as he would be in a flamboyant, you know, really flamboyant out of the box way in those days, where he had this wild. Afro hairstyle, which wasn't done really in the golfing world, and he wore these black and white 
you know, one leg, black, one leg, white trousers, big, wide bell bottoms. I don't know how it worked in the wind, but, um, and he, he was this vision on the golf course in a time of apartheid in South Africa, which, you know, was quite brave uh, to make a statement like that. But the locals absolutely took to him like a Pied Piper. I never forget it in places like Swaziland, where he had won uh, the previous year. He went back and there would be like 200 of the local kids would be running out, chasing him across the bridge, going to the first hole, screaming after him, a bit like the Tiger Woods scene. So he made a huge impact in, in, in that world over there and loved it and was very comfortable there. Mm, beautiful. So that was really an important part of his life. Massive, yeah. And you... you witnessed it and this is what's great and uh, it's what's great about the piece that you wrote as well which is you know on the car golf website and obviously being part of that family but you're the young the young lad in the in the family marty has seen a company blossom and he's got this incredible way about him but uh, car golf do so much for ireland and for irish golf with all of the great tours that they do and the father and son in waterville and then further afield and obviously just the great relationships with America, which your your dad did as well. So it's it's an amazing story, which we'll focus on at some other point. But um, that's where Roddy's musings are and uh, they're worth reading, folks. Um, but as we pay tribute to John O'Leary, um, we do like to play music on this program. And uh, the music that I have now in front of me to play throughout this hour, uh, most of it, if not all of it, has been selected by his son, Mark. And uh, Mark has been very generous in just kind of bringing me into the world of Jono's tastes within his four walls and in his car and all the rest of it. And John obviously would have been a bit of a party animal back in the day. He was a man who loved the nightlife and uh, he lived a full life, folks, but he loved his music. So here's one of John's favourites.
Roddy Carr joins me as we just begin our little voyage of discovery for a lot of people and uh, myself included. I I knew John over the last 15 years or so uh, through my career and um, obviously he was someone that beguiled us all with his victory in the Europe, in the Irish Open back in 1982, which was just sensational and it was very impactful for me and for many others. And um, it's worth noting, you know, how how important that win was. And you were in the commentary box at Port Marnock. Your your career had taken a, a, another turn uh, fairly early in your playing career as a pro, Roddy. You went to IMG and, you know, you've had various, um, let me see, just linkages with the sport, but always golf at the very centre of it. But you found yourself in the commentary box with Peter Townsend. I'm not sure if Peter Alice was there. I, I know that Peter has certainly commentated on the Irish Open many times. Um but you were you were watching firsthand a man win our national open and a man that you knew. What was that like? Well, it was uh, it was an amazing uh, time, really. I had self destructed on the tour, and John had slowly but surely built his foundation for his game and had won in South Africa and South Africa and worked his way back to Europe and was working his way through uh, winning. He uh, won the Manchester Open, but he came to the Irish Open and. Being a, um, an Irish man and player who lived abroad for convenience for the tour really in those days, um, you know, he never really got the recognition that, say, Des Smith would have got uh, back at home, people who lived at home. So when he came to the Irish Open, which in those days, you must remember, was quite an incredible scene. It was the only big event with the Derby that people went to. It was a festival of all festivals, 100,000 people. And I was on the ground there, and JJ was there, and... You know, he was then known as a flamboyant kind of a wild boy because hanging out with Jack Newton and Simon Hobday, Bob Shearer and mm. all Ian Stanley, these guys who, you know, were having a good time. But <laughs> he gets himself, um, you know, into contention. And I, I have this vision of him on the, I think it was the Friday where it was lashing with rain mm. and everybody was huddled. And, you know, as you know, in Port Marnock, that, you know, it comes across in sheets off the Irish Sea there. <laughs> and everybody was huddling under their, under their, you know, Morton Knight's wetsuits and umbrellas and caddies protecting them. And I had this vision of John in almost like a, a one shirt, a skimpy body tight shirt, um, walking down the fairway like a gladiator, letting this, you know, the elements beat up against him and mm. totally, in defiance and ignoring them, mm. as if to say, you know, I uh, this is not affecting me. It was quite an, ing- I, I, I never quite got where his head was, but that was the kind of guy he was. And he ended up that week against Marnage Bembridge, who was an old dog pro, like, mm. I mean, he'd be like a guy, like an old <laughs> dog nibbling at your foot that you couldn't shake off. <laughs> and John came down the last three holes and was wild scenes, you know, he was walking like the gladiator he was, head high, strolling down and I, I knew in inside him he was going through turmoil but he had this way of looking perfectly stoic and calm and ended up you know missing a putt on 17 and holding him you know two putts from about hit a beautiful second shot in with a long iron mm. into the crosswind and holding for two and I could see the relief and the happiness and the celebrations that happened after yeah. that because really that was his crowning moment to come home, win in front of his home people. And he went on a party the likes that had never been seen after that and <laughs> celebrated it like our friend Shane Lowry did this year, which mm. was magnificent to see. Mm. So I, I was so happy for him. And, you know, that was kind of the crowning moment of his career before he really was sidelined because of his back, uh, which was, you know, 
really much worse than anybody had ever realized. So that was the end of his career, more or less, at that time. And it was beautiful to see the game giving him that kiss goodbye from his home people. Yeah, beautiful. Just beautiful. And, um, you know, it, it, it was kind of cut short, um, you know, his career with, uh, you know, a car crash and then a, a kind of succession of injuries and all the rest of it. So we never saw, we never saw him dazzle in the way that perhaps he should have. But boy, did he give back to golf and the European Tour and, you know, standing up for the players, which is what the European Tour is. It's a, it's a, a, a it is a platform for players. Um, what, 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 what way did it mutate? What did you observe? Uh, it was, it, he had a very, very good relationship with an awful lot of people in a different type of way. Because there was no agenda for John. I mean, he was uh, he was friends with Nicholas. He was friends with Greg Norman. You know, he was friends with John Jacobs. You know, people respected him. And then when he retired, basically because of his relationship with John Jacobs and the new CEO Ken Schofield at the time, who were the fathers of the tour, um, they saw that John would be the, the player's player. You know the man on the on the, on the on the committee that would actually be able to communicate very well with the players, and John was completely committed to the building of the European Tour with John Jacobs and with Ken Schofield and later with George O'Grady, and spent the rest of his life basically steering that ship, you know, beautifully uh, through the you know through the different waters that that arose and challenges that arose. Uh, and was very highly respected. Neil Coles was the chairman. You had David Jones, who was on that committee. But John was always there and a solid voice. He listened very well. Uh, and they they listened to what he said. And he was a big, big part of keeping that tour solid and sustainable, you know, for 30 years until basically his tenure came to an end last mm-hmm. year. And that would be probably his legacy um, it's a, a contribution he made to the European Tour from the players' point of view. Yeah. He was highly respected by not just the players, but the PGA uh, of UK, which was the club pro side. He yeah. knew everybody. Yeah, he had time for people, and he talked to them, and they loved him. I mean, he was like I always found um, just my personal dealings with him. He was disarming in how gentle he was, and how just nice he was, and yet. He, he kind of hid his inner tiger, if you will, very well. Do you know what I mean? Because he clearly had that if he was to succeed in the way that he did and uh, be determined in the way that he did. And he was head pro, or should I say director of golf at the Buckinghamshire, which was the base for the Ladies European Tour. So, yeah, he knew, he knew, every, he knew every side of golf, yet you never, you never looked at him like he was some... Um, kind of guy elevating himself or was desperate to get off to the next next meeting or whatever. He just, and I think that's the way he played golf. Yet, you know, he had everything worked out. He was a perfectionist. But even in his yeah, latter he was, days... He was cool, you know. Yeah, he, he was cool. But he, you he, can't make that up cool, though, yeah. Roddy. You could, you no, just you cannot. Can't, you can't cool, and if you, yeah. if you try to be cool, you're not going to get away with it. You're going to be smoked he, out. He used to smoke. He used to smoke. And even I remember distinctly <laughs> the way he would drag on a cigarette, you know. Yeah. He would take his time and it would be <laughs> he'd enjoy it on that puff <laughs> he'd enjoy it. it out and then he'd go back to the conversation we'd have you hanging there <laughs> you know come on JJ what are you 
<laughs> what are you going to say there, you know? But he was, and that was the kind of way, he had that laid back cool, which kind of suited him because he was a hippie. He was a hippie yeah. in those days by comparison to the rest when you talk about, you know, the life that they lived nowadays. I know, I know, I know. Then. So he was so cool in his own way. Yeah, I just, like I'm, like I'm remembering a couple of times when he called me and like, I mean, you know, the inner boy in me was always saying to myself, holy smoke, that's John O'Leary like talking to me. Yes, you know, I mean, I was making different steps in my career and like uh, there was a reason why he wanted to call me because of something that he needed me to do or was asking me to do something for him or, but he, yet at the same time, like it was almost like, <laughs> I don't know, that there are people who just have that air of nonchalance. And I mean, like if you, if you look it up in the dictionary, you'll get an unsatisfactory answer. You need to look at yeah. someone like John O'Leary. And there are others who have it, and it is a, um, it's an X factor, isn't it? It was hard to get him riled up, because I'd be at him many times trying to get him really wound up, and I would know which buttons to be pressing. And no matter what I did, like yeah. I couldn't actually get him to a stage where he'd you know, flap out something and, and kind of rant off about something. He would always sit back and, you know, look at another way. And then you wouldn't know what to be going on in his mind. He was hard to read like that. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I mean, but he had such a full life and he lived it, mm. as I said at the very outset. He lived it and uh, he lived it with a great ease. I mean, he was obviously this um, unique character who just, um, he took on the world in his own way. He was his own yeah. man. He was, he was singular and yet magnetic, and you just wanted to be around him. And I'm sure the ladies yeah. flocked to him in the early days and when he would flutter those eyelids and no, those, was, those blue yeah, eyes, yeah. holy smoke. He was, but it was, I mean, even I remember that last day with him in that hospital, you know, and I mean, this would be classic JJ. So he's there, he knows he's, he knows it's, it's, it's not good, meaning it's over. And so we get started out of the way, like in about four seconds. In other words, there will be no more discussion about this. Yeah. Now let's go back and have a few laughs here. Well, we, I thought at one stage that I had killed him. He laughed so much. He had this magnificent, <laughs> contagious, deep laid back. It came out late, the laugh where he would burst out and the tears would come down his cheeks. <laughs> talking about all of the stupid things we did as kids. Yeah. His wife, Sue, had to leave the room at one stage because we were like two little boys playing. I know. And I, I, and like, that was, to me, I probably the last great laugh he ever had. And I'm thinking that's what I'm going to remember him by because that's what he wanted. He wanted just to go back to where it was, you know, a boy and you could just be with a friend who you can absolutely laugh about the stupidest things that we all ended up doing. So that's my memory, my abiding memory of him. Well, I can hear the emotion in your voice and I must say, you know what I mean? I, 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 I was emotional. I felt emotional reading your piece, which, um, please go on, um, just, you'll find it, um, on the car golf website, which is worth a visit all the time. Anyway, if you're considering trips over here, we've got some great golf tour operators, but, uh, car golfer, particularly great and uh marty does a fabulous job and and i know you you you're in that zone as well uh, at times and um i just thought it was just terrific and we're going to talk to a lot of people now who knew john and and can color in different aspects of his amazing life uh personal professional everything um so it's going to be a lovely little voyage. And Roddy, if you wouldn't mind, because you were the perfect man for me just to start this off, if you wouldn't mind me uh, kind of wrapping things up at the end and uh, we'll kind of send him on his way because he's he's up in the great 
golf course in the sky now and he's 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 walking around like he doesn't care yeah. and everyone is following him. They're all following him up there as well. So um, for the moment, let's play another piece from John's taste in music and it's a good one. And uh, we'll be back with another guest in just a moment. But for now, Roddy, thank you.
It's going to be an interesting voyage today. Fantastic kind of getting those opening remarks from Roddy Carr. And uh, music will be certainly a big part of it. And uh, a lot of those songs selected by his son, Mark. And I'm going to throw in a few myself. Um, because I really don't know how long this is going to be. But it's uh, given the, the amount of people that are agreeable to me talking to them, it's going to be interesting. And the beauty of the podcast is obviously you can pause it or you can go back to it or you can listen again or you can, you know. Uh, I'm just glad that you're along for the ride. And this is going to be a voyage of discovery because there's a lot of depth with regard to John O'Leary that many people don't fully appreciate. And I need to kind of work my way through this and learn a lot more about him through the authentic stories that I'm I'm seeking to get. And... Um, it kind of begins at the beginning. So obviously Roddy, you know, knew him as a boy golfer and then they progressed. Um, so that's good. And we'll delve into more elements of that a little bit later. But we need to go back to the boy and the boy in school. And he was Willow Park for primary school. And obviously most of the Willow Park boys, they grow, go to their uh, secondary school, which is Black Rock College, renowned school for sporting excellence and for academic excellence and... Um, Bob Geldof went there and I, I, I don't know, I'd love to talk to him some stage, but I mean, I can, I can pull rabbits out of the hat, but uh, I really should have called Bob Geldof actually. No, but anyway, forget that. Um, but they were in school the similar year, Arthur Pierce, the Walker Cup player, all these guys, you know, they all knocked around. Um, but one of the guys who knew him in Willow Park and in Black Rock is Tom Roach, who uh, joins me now. I'm delighted that you're here, Tom. And uh, you're very welcome to this celebration of a life lev- well-lived and uh, a life less ordinary. John O'Leary, your friend. When did you first meet him? Thanks, Shane. Um, met him maybe when I was about 12. Okay. And uh, we started, my interest, well, my connection with John was through cricket. Um mm. And he was an incredibly quick. I was one of the few guys that went through uh, Blackrock without playing rugby. Yeah. But John, of course, played cricket, rugby, athletics, a phenomenal athlete. Mm. Um, and he he was an amazing athlete. Everybody knew that. Mm. You can see it in the photos. Uh, one of my first memories is he did not play cricket. And there was a Mr. O'Horn mm. uh, in in Willow. And he put John's feet together. And he said, John, raise your right arm, mm. which John did. And then he, Mr. O'Horn said, put your right foot back as far as you can. And John did. And raise your right arm. And Mr. O'Horn said, well, that's how you bowl. Mm. And this went on, and eventually, of course, John became a phenomenally quick bowler. Mm. And he became a schoolboy champion. Then he went on to Leinster Mm. to play uh, cricket. And Mm. uh, then I do believe he went on to be an international um, cricket schoolboy. So it wasn't just the rugby of course, which he excelled, it was also the cricket. So he was a phenomenal athlete. Sorry, I, 
I'm all around golf. Yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get to the golf. Don't but worry about that. I mean, in, yeah. In, in his school days, he was a phenomenal athlete. Mm. It was cricket, rugby, athlete, yeah. athletics. Uh, he was just a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. Can I? Um, because you were, you were early buddies, right? And uh, you obviously had a little bit of a magic together, and um, there was a. There was a chemistry, you know what I mean, which you need, and um, it's it's what's yeah. the basis of a lifelong friendship, which clearly this was. Can I can I just talk about John the person, because he's always been this very languid, um, quietly spoken. Uh, he had this lovely energy about him that was just very calm. Uh, I mean, I know he was intense. In, within himself as a as a gladiator in golf uh, for for periods and was very demanding and we'll get into all of that but I just think um you know you don't lick this kind of stuff off the stones right so it has to come from somewhere and I just wonder what your observations were as a as a boy of this other boy who had he had the he had the x factor you know uh, he had the stuff if you want to call it that like so so can you talk to me about your how you perceived him to be or where he got it and how his parents influenced it and what they gave to him. Perhaps if you could con- contextualize that. This was the late sixties. This was 1967 yeah. when we were doing our uh, leaving cert. Okay. And John had no interest in the leaving cert. <laughs> Which is like the A-levels in the UK or, you know, it's like your high yeah. school diploma. He did not give a monkey's yeah. really, did he? Yeah. Okay. And to be honest, a lot of the class that he was with, and I was in his class, we'd no interest in the leaving cert either. <laughs> <laughs> but the difference was John was going to make his career through sport. Yeah. Um. And there was a kind of lethargy about this whole deal. About a lot of stuff was gone in the late sixties. Yeah, you know there was rebellion. People don't. Martha Luther King. Okay, that was nineteen sixty-eight. Yeah. Blah blah. Yeah. It was a time of change. Yeah, yeah. And John was lethargic, and I'm not sure if you're gonna present this, but I do remember we had uh, uh, judgments, what they called uh, marks every week. Okay. If you got it below a certain mark, you, you got the, you got slapped on your hand. Yeah, okay. Free. Yeah. And John was slapped a number of times in front of us, sure. as I was. As I was, and we we all were. That was just the way it was. Like um, even in the seventies and eighties, you know what I mean for guys of my vintage. Well Go done, on. like you know. That, <laughs> I mean, looking back, how horrible it was, and you know, you could yeah. call nine one one or child nine <laughs> or whatever you do now. But John, John took his fair share. He was not academic. Yeah, and. The priests in Blackrock College began to realize that he was not academic. He yeah. was a gentle giant. Yeah. He, he was a very kind person. Yeah. He, was, he had a lovely personality. And he never once, just 
despite all his achievements in sport, never once, uh, how do I say it, um, looked down on you. Yeah, he, he was one of the guys. But that's his. That's a, that, he. He was always like that. So he was always. That was exactly. always his personality. His his way. Um, he was so modest. Yeah, you know, he was really modest, and he carried his you talent know? with great uh, ease. He did like absolutely. He, and I'm not a golfer, by the way. Yeah, but yeah. I've read where where he said, "Look, I carried the mantle of winning winning the uh, Irish Open." Mm. Whatever. Yeah, for twenty five years. Yeah. Else, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I, I wish someone else would win it, you know that was John. He 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 wanted other people to share and to of course he did. You yeah. know, do do what he did. He he was a remarkable fella. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, um uh, can I just look? I mean, because time and everything. Um, you know, he was this sensational talent. He did what he did, but you know, from your unique perspective as someone who knew him from the earliest of days when his character was forming and his personality was forming. Um, what, what were the, what were, how did you guys keep in touch? Because you know what I mean? You're over here, he's over there, he's in the UK. And like, how, like was it just a texts and calls and just the banter and getting together every couple of months or what was it? We kept up. I mean, John went, obviously achieved a lot in golf and so on. And it's hard, uh, you know, guys, we had um, 200 people or something in our in our final year in rock. Um, it, but we kept up, but I, I, I'll tell you a story. Yeah, please. Which I, told his, I told his brother, Michael, yeah. with whom I'm really friendly. When yeah. We were very close. Yeah, good. We we had the uh, the 50th uh, anniversary of how we left rock, and I think I think John. This sums up John. Mm. He said, "Roach, you were always a messer at school, and you're still a messer." <laughs> <laughs> and, and I looked back at him and I said, "O'Leary, it takes a messer." no one <laughs> I love it and uh, love and that it. was the relationship I love it Tom I'm Me. I'm sorry that you've lost your friend I'm I really am and uh, I knew him I in my own way we were friendly but as I am keen to point out we were not friends we uh, you know because friends are friends and friendship is friendship and it's a quality thing that you exactly. can count on one hand and maybe less than five fingers um, exactly. So I just I just want to say um, thank you, and I want to say uh, look at you for knowing him, and for him clearly knowing you, and uh, look I mean we'll 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 try and arrange some sort of a I mean I know his family will and everything once everything kind of passes with this horrible thing that we're all dealing with at the moment, but there needs to be a big party for John O'Leary. And it could be, it can be in a year's time. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, all right, you're, um, I'm just thrilled that I got to talk to you and, uh, thanks for that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Shane. Take care, Tom. Take care.
Nothing you can sing that can't be sung Nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game listening to Shano on the radio which is a niche media production any and all unauthorized use or broadcast of the material contained herein will be in breach of copyright well there's so much to celebrate about John O'Leary so much to ruminate on and also to make it just a gentle experience for those who are listening those who knew something about him and for those who knew nothing about him I hope you're enjoying being brought on this little voyage of discovery because one of the key aims of this podcast and indeed the whole platform of Keeler 1930 is to provide a platform for authentic voices to speak firsthand about their experiences to do with whatever the topic is. Obviously this episode three is all about the great John O'Leary, an Irish 
golfing icon who, you know, many people didn't know, but he was a global traveler. He was a man uh, with a very easy way and a very warm way, but he had a beautiful golf game. He was a sensational boy sportsman, as you'll have found out by now, um, who graduated through the ranks. And you talk about serendipity, you talk about different things where just the right things happen at the right time for the right people. And that was John O'Leary and especially meeting John Jacobs and uh, being part of the very early days of the formation of the European Tour. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome to the programme a man who really helped grow the tour and uh, was recently elected, fairly recently elected to the World Golf Hall of Fame, which is much deserved. A Scottish man who started out in the bank, but followed his dream into working in sports and especially professional sports. And we're very fortunate that it became the European Tour. And uh, he was very central in its development. Its former executive director is with me now. Hello there, Ken Schofield. Good afternoon to you, Shane. It's uh, a real privilege to join with you today and talk about a great friend and the sad passing recently of John O'Leary, famous throughout the world simply the sporting world, not just the golfing world, simply as Jono. Mm. He had he had a special way about him, didn't he? He he. I mean, I called this podcast "Never Met a Stranger" because it is an expression that I've enjoyed hearing over the years about certain people, and he had that in abundance. You'd agree with that? Absolutely, Shane. Uh, two things: if we if we leave aside the fact that. Uh, the CV of John depicts him as the great champion golfer that he most assuredly uh, was, so that's in stone. But the other two things for me that have stood out through really almost a 50-year um, friendship because I had the, the real and very rare privilege of getting to know John right at the very beginning when I came south to join uh, John Jacobs' revolution that became the modern European tour today in, in 1971. And John had just turned pro. It may not be widely known, but John Jacobs actually managed John O'Leary for a very, very brief period. And of course, uh, John had to give up management of, of John O'Leary mm. uh, as he took uh, over the, uh, the, the European tour. But of course, their friendship endured throughout and I had the rare privilege of getting to know both of them, who left huge impression uh, on me, of course. John Jacobs really was my mentor in uh, following him at the European Tour and trying to continue the, the great work that John had in delivering all of Europe into one professional golfing tour. John's great strengths were that he cared for everyone. He firstly cared for his peers throughout all of my time. I can't think of committee or board meetings or player meetings that Jono was not present. He cared for the entire game. He cared for all who played and, of course, then all who supported the game of golf. He became a wonderful supporter of all of us in administration, particularly those and I include myself in this, that he got to know and trust. Because John, of so many talents, loyalty and care would be right at the top of, of those 
many wonderful, wonderful talents here. You know, this is um, obviously going to be a very emotional piece for um, a lot of people who were touched by John. And um, it's only a natural question from man to man or, you know, someone who's in the professional game and we've 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 gotten to know each other over the last i would say 17 years or so can your your emotions as you knew that he was fading and that there was an inevitability about the passing which we've all acknowledged in recent times and, and you know it's been very difficult for those who knew and loved him not to be able to attend a funeral but that is a that is a global problem that is a global issue at the moment but you know with our thoughts and prayers going to his family and um to his loved ones what are your emotions uh, right now as we reflect on his incredible life well shane firstly the privilege of knowing john throughout that long haul as i've just alluded to and more recently um, hearing firsthand from him and indeed from his, his wife Sue, his son Mark, that uh, sadly from around summer of last year that the prognosis for John was not good and that the, the, the end sadly would be forthcoming uh, and as, as we uh, know that that has now happened within the last week or so. I've got only admiration the way that he handled this. He knew that he was most unwell. He knew that he was sadly not going to rise from firstly his uh, his, his uh, own bed at home in Isha. I had the, still have the privilege of being in walking very close, less than 10 or 12 miles to John's home. I had the privilege of seeing him there regularly with uh, Neil Coles, with Scott Kelly, with others. I know Roddy visited. In fact, on the day Roddy visited John and Sue, I had the privilege of making breakfast for Roddy because he'd come in overnight uh, mm. from the West Indies, mm -hmm. from, I think, Barbados. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think all of us just felt the privilege seeing how a great man, knowing that uh, this final illness was going to lay him low, but he never changed. He maintained total dignity right to the very, very end. I saw him within the within the last, uh, I think, dozen days of John's life on this earth until, sadly, Sue called me last week to say that, uh, that he had passed. And I know that uh, in her moment of, of, of intense disappointment and that of Mark, his son, they both have shared the feeling that the great man now has rest. Mm. And I think that, above all, is what we would want for John to have, to have rest. Very well said. Um, I, I'm curious to know of your funniest memories, because he was a very funny guy. He was a, a guy who had a magnetism. And people were drawn to him, not only through his blue eyes or his stature or his warm, warm face and um, his just uh, natural friendship. Um, yeah, is there anything that stands out? Because I'm sure you have, well, you've seen all sides of him as a professional and with regard to his commitment to the tour and everything, but um, maybe there's, there's, so there's one, maybe there's, maybe there's something. <laughs> there's so many. On, 
on the day, and I know you were on the great Portmarnock Lakes as a very young boy, um, when John gloriously won the 1982 Irish Open in what I think we would all now regard as the halkian days of the Irish Open. Uh, Port Marnock, the Royal Dublin in those days, with thousands upon thousands on the great links, the great fields, the, the great Europeans of the day that went on to have major championship success, success in the Ryder Cups, visiting Americans of the day, all of those things. I've, I've been over to that Irish Open, but earlier in the week, and I actually watched the closing stages I think on RTE, yeah. maybe through BBC, with Fred Cogley, yeah. probably Roddy and Peter Townsend. That's Cogley, right. I think. That's right. Uh, at my mother's uh, home, quite close to Glen Eagles in oh. Scotland, and uh, that—that's where I was on that day. And what I didn't then hear was the prize-giving ceremony. And I understand I was led to believe by Tony Gray, who was my great friend and colleague as tournament director uh, for, the, for that Irish Open, and indeed many of them. But uh, John had, uh, when John had the microphone, I think he used, as I understand it, uh, perhaps a West of Ireland um, uh, sort of term, shall we say, to describe how, as we understand it, that he actually said it was a bucking marvellous day. Now, I don't know if you heard that on the day as a, no. a very young boy, uh, Shane, but I think many there on the campus and those listening and watching on television may have thought John said something else. Okay. may have rhymed with that West of Ireland expression, but of course it didn't. No. And with his smile, as you say, with that wonderful hairdo that he yeah. kept immaculate right to the very end, I may tell you. Yeah. And the broad shoulders, the tapered waist as it was in those days, John O could have got away and did get away with anything and everything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he... Great days. So yeah. so many marvellous memories, Shane, of going to tournament committee meetings, board meetings with him when he would be there for us. And he would have that rare ability, almost a John Jacobs-like ability in so many ways to defuse situations mm. simply because of his great knowledge and, of course, his great presence. Yeah. What a man. What a man. And well said, Ken. Ken, uh, I look forward to talking to you again and again, but on this occasion, um, you know, our sympathies to you as a close friend and colleague, as a, as a real respecter of him and um, the recipient of his his love and friendship for many, many years. Um, thank you so much for your time and thank you very much for your contribution. And Jane, a privilege to be with you and a privilege to have the opportunity to call Jono my friend, our friend and everyone's friend. Thank you. Ring a ring a rosy as the light declines I'll remember Dublin City in the rare old times. Raised on songs and stories, heroes of renown, 
the passing tales and the glories that once was Dublin town, the hallowed halls and houses, the haunting children's rhymes that once was Dublin city in the rare old times. Ring a ring a rosy as the light declines. I'll remember Dublin city in the rare old times. My name it is Shandemsey, as Dublin as could be. Born hard and late in Pimlico, in a house that ceased to be. By trade I was a cooper, lost out to redundancy. Like my house that fell to progress, my trade's a memory. And I courted Peggy Dignan As pretty as you please A rogue and child of Mary From the rebel liberties I lost her to a student chap With skin as black as coal When he took her off to Birmingham, she took away my soul. Ring a ring a rosy as the light declines. I'll remember Dublin City in the rain. The gaggle dims me brain Cause Dublin keeps on changing And nothing seems the same The pillar and the met have gone The royal long since pulled down As the grey unyielding concrete Makes a city of my town Ring a ring a rosy As the light declines I'll remember Dublin City In the rare old times Fare thee well, sweet Annalise I can no longer stay And watch the nude glass cages That spring up along the cave My mind's too full of memories 
hear new chimes I'm a part of what was Dublin In the rare old times Ring a ring a rosy As the light declines I'll remember Dublin City In the rare old times Ring a ring a rosy As the light declines I'll remember Dublin City Well, there are so many beautiful pieces of music to choose from and um, we hope you enjoy that aspect of uh, this celebration of a unique spirit within Irish golf, European golf, and indeed global golf, because that's what he was, the great John O'Leary, who just passed away recently. And, um, you know, the title of this series now, because it became very clear that this actually is worthy of several podcasts, and that's what it's going to become. So, you know, we're coming to the end of episode one, if you will, and um, it's been a joyous little journey so far and there is plenty more to come, folks, I can assure you. Just make sure you subscribe uh, so that they'll pop into your inbox. And um, I think the most fitting way to finish episode one is to have a word with John O'Leary's son, Mark. How are you, Mark? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's been a, it's been a wonderful little voyage uh, putting these um, couple of podcasts together. It's amounting to three at the moment. It may stretch to four. So many people want to talk about them and so many amazing people. But, um, you know, we're very sorry for your loss. It's a it's a very painful thing when it is someone that you dearly love and it is a family member. Um, but I'm sure you've uh, I'm sure you've enjoyed just the tributes being um, so forthcoming and effectively pouring in, um, you know, so look. We, what we're trying to do is just celebrate an incredible life, um, a life that was well lived, that had its ups, its downs. It's like any life, but um, my word, he he um, he shone brightly, I must say. And then in latter years, he he gave back so generously, so kindly, and uh, uh, I don't know. He's he he's a he's just a very special figure in 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 our country, but. Like, he, he was this man of the world, wasn't he? Yeah, he really was. Um, he certainly, uh, he certainly he got around a bit in the most positive way. Um, just to shine a light on, on your your dad, uh, I know that he was this sporting superstar as a boy, uh, but rugby was always his kind of real passion, if if we're honest. Uh, you know, it was his, it was his great escape from what became his job, his, his incredible talent as a golfer. And it's something that you shared together, isn't that right? Uh, I very much was. Yeah, it was uh, something I spent many hours uh, watching and uh, early years me participating in him watching. And uh, something we, we shared. And London Irish was a, a big part of your life, wasn't it? London Irish was this... Um, it was this very strong element. I mean, I know that you 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 played there as a probably a cadet. I'm sure into uh, was it under nineteen you finished? Yeah, it was. Um, played there some of my latter teens. Um, came back from boarding school back to the area, and uh, yeah, Dad was uh, always been an Irish guy since he uh, he moved over here. 
and uh, yeah, encouraged me to get involved with the club and um, yeah, had some great years there. Um, even more great that you know he was there to share it with me. Yeah. Along with a lot of the other Irish fathers and uh, <laughs> sons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that's a it's a bond, isn't it? When you are an expat, um, you're either you're either going to go to the local church, or you're going to just get involved in some society of some description. And obviously, there's the Irish club in 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 the centre of London, which is very strong. But for those who are you know around that sort of southwest London area, London Irish was this. It was this glue. Whether you were Terry Wogan or you were Joe Joe O'Brien from Kilchima, you know what I mean. It was a it was a place where you you just gathered and shared, and uh, you were obviously the benefactor of all of that. And being the son of such a a prominent Irish man, but who who carried his prominence with, uh, I suppose, a great modesty. Would you agree? Yeah, very much. Um, on that, I. Um I was born to a South African mother and an Irish father. Uh, got no English blood in my veins, so I always, uh, <laughs> always felt more affiliated with my sort of parents' countries than, than the one I was born in. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was lovely to be in a place where there was a, a lot of other people in a similar vein. So, what was it like travelling back to Ireland with your dad? Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, he was one of the things he did a lot with me. Um, Every year, a couple of times, we'd go over. Uh, sometimes I'd travel on my own and meet him there because he'd been over there for, for various reasons. But he always made sure there was a strong connection with the family. So it's always been a very important part to me. So the O'Leary family and, and my uh, uh, my aunt's side, the Dailies, um, yeah, fantastic people and, you know, very lucky to have them. Yeah. Mark, it's been a great pleasure having you on. It's a fitting way to kind of finish this first episode. We'll have episode two tomorrow and maybe episode three on, on Tuesday or maybe Wednesday, we'll, we'll see, uh, as we assemble all of this. But um, this has been a fascinating kind of insight into John today and, uh, you know, starting off with Roddy, who obviously kind of met him on the boys' golf circuit and the whole JB Carr connection, the whole John Jacobs connection, the European Tour connection with Ken Schofield. Um, this has been a lovely way to end part one. There's lots more to come. Like, there was so much to... Uh, John O'Leary's life and um, as his son can I just say thanks and also um, just our sympathies to you and your family on uh, on this on this loss um, but uh, lots of memories and I'm sure lots of uh, interesting things to read and listen to now with um, people reaching out to you so uh, hopefully you find some solace in that Thank you very much, um, and also thank you for pulling this whole thing together, and also to all the wonderful people that have said so many lovely things about my father. Uh, he was a great guy, and uh, he will be missed, uh, quite obviously, not just by myself and the family, but also by a lot of other people who were lucky enough to get to know him at various uh, levels. So thank you. Thank you very much, Mark O'Leary. And we will be speaking to another family member in episode two, but we have some amazing people lined up to just pay tribute to John and to shine a light on what was this extraordinary life, a life less ordinary. And uh, he did. He never met a stranger. So hopefully you've enjoyed this first episode of this tribute to John O'Leary. And do subscribe. Uh, on iTunes. Uh, we're going to get it up on Spotify and some other um, platforms as well, but it's on SoundCloud, and, uh, which is where it started. 
But uh, if you want to subscribe on iTunes, just click on that thing. This is what my daughter tells me. This is this is the way forward. Subscribe. Um, but it's been a joyous thing just putting this together to mark the life of uh, an incredible Irishman who gave us so much pleasure, so much joy, and was so kind to so many people. And uh, I think we'll leave it there. So uh, thank you very much for your company. Uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow with another episode of this tribute to John O'Leary. You've been listening to Shano on the radio, which is a niche media production. Any and all unauthorised use or broadcast of the material contained herein will be in breach of copyright. <laughs>